0: Om um, Bhadram Karne Visranu Yamadevaha Bhadram Pashye Moksha Bhirya Jatraha sthirairangai Stushtu Vagam Vyashema Devahitanyadayuhu Swastina Indro Vraddhasravaha Swastina Pusha Vishwaveda Swastina Staksho Arishta Nemi Swastina Om Shanti 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 Hariyo May we hear with our ears what is auspicious. May we see with our eyes what is auspicious. While praying with steady limbs, may we attain the lifespan allotted to us. May Indra bestow well-being on us. May Pushan, the God of the earth, who is all-knowing, bestow well-being on us. May Garura, the destroyer of evil, bestow well-being on us. May Brihaspati also bestow well being on us. Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. So, in the last class, we were just on the concluding section of the first chapter of the first part of Mundakopanishad. The first chapter constitutes of nine mantras we studied till the eighth mantra as a conclusion the ninth mantra we will study today but before we proceed to the ninth mantra as we are about to conclude the first chapter so we will just have a very quick synopsis of the entire chapter before we conclude the ninth this first chapter with the ninth mantra so as you may recapitulate that mundaka upanishad belongs to the atharva veda so like all other upanishads it teaches the brahmavidya the knowledge of brahman so the upanish the, you know the vedas have the two sections the karmakanda and the gyanakanda the most of the vedas are related with the various yagya sacrifices, how to do them, and what's the result that ensues when you do those sacrifices perfectly. The concept of heaven we find there, that when you do those sacrifices, those yagyas, perfectly, and also follow all the dictums, the do's and don'ts, the vidhis and nishedas, as has been prescribed in the Vedas, that can lead you after the post-mortem existence, as a post-mortem existence after your death to heaven. So that was the idea prevailing. And then we find that the same Vedas, a section is developing, which as if is the conclusion of the Vedas, where through all the yajyas, when the chitta-shuddhi happens, all the knowledge, though it may result in all sorts of abhudaya, means social upliftment. Even in the present day, with all our academic academic knowledge, we are not thinking of spirituality. The academic knowledge we study with the aim, with the goal to have some worldly achievements. But one thing we cannot deny, that in the process of learning, whatever may be our goal, We are regimenting our mind. Our mind is getting regimented. And that regimented mind is the instrument even for our spiritual journey. The one who cannot control his mind even to a certain extent, cannot keep it focused, cannot delay his gratifications for some future gains which is waiting for him. This speaks of the Vidhis nishadas, the concentration. Even in the modern world, the modern psychology, they say it is not our IQ. It is our capacity to delay our gratification, which speaks of our excellence in life. How we excel academically, professionally, that depends mainly on the capacity to delay our gratification. It is a very, it's the reason behind this is very simple. If I can delay my gratification that speaks that I am not myopic, I'm not short-sighted. I do not get lured by the immediate gain and sacrifice the gains which is waiting for me. All the little pleasures of life I sacrifice because I know that there is some much uh, higher achievement waiting for me. So all the short term games I sacrifice for the long term games. That speaks of the delay of gratification. That speaks of the do's and don'ts. And all the yajyas when I'm doing through the exact process that speaks of the regimentation of the mind. And this too becomes the tool for my spiritual journey. So all this Yagya. also we will find, though they were aimed at attaining heaven, but they resulted in chitta-shutti. We develop the capacity to delay our gratification, have a self-control, have more focus. So naturally the Vedas we find, the Karmakandas, is naturally evolving into the Jnana the introspection from which the knowledge behind the entire existence gets revealed so all the upanishads speaks of brahmavidya this mundaka upanishad also like any other upanishad is going to teach us that knowledge of brahman the ultimate reality knowing which everything else is known now the word mundaka as you may remember is derived from a root in sanskrit which signifies mundana means shaving, shaving the head, literally means shaving the head. In that way, it actually the Upanishads were meant for the sannyasin who have renounced all actions, prescribed for the householders and devoted themselves to the cultivation of Brahmavidya. So that's one sense, but it's, it's a limited sense. The real idea is the the Upanishads has the sharpness of a razor the instructions given in the upanishad has the sharpness of a razor and it cuts off avidya or the ignorance to take you to the realization so that's the broader meaning so that's what the mundaka upanishad means from the mundaka the word mundaka is derived from mundana which means the shaving off the ignorance cutting off the ignorance so like some other upanishads In many of the Upanishads, we will find the instruction is given in the form of dialogue. So here also we will find at the very inception, the Upanishad starts with a dialogue between the the disciple and the teacher. The name of the disciple is Shonaka. He approaches his teacher who is established in Brahmavidya. His name is Angirasa. He has followed the tradition, the parampara, his paramparavit as well as brahmavit. Following the tradition, he has went to the realization. The spiritual tradition speaks of all the instructions that has come came down through the lineage, spiritual lineage. There are two lineages. One is the biological lineage where the genes are transmitted from the father to the son and another is this spiritual lineage where the spiritual instruction is transmitted from the teacher to the student. That's why the one who gets initiated in the knowledge of Brahmavidya is called Dvija. The Brahmin is called Dvija. Brahmana, the one, this word Brahmana also came from Brahma, the one who is engaged in Brahmavidya. The word Dvija means the second birth, that I was first born as a biological child. And then when I go to my guru, the second birth, the spiritual birth, that's the dvija, There's the second birth. So here this shonaka as if is approaching the teacher. And he what word, word has been used in the Upanishad, we are not going to the entire mantras again, as we have already studied. The word, this particular phrase, which is very significant is Bidhivat upasanna following the proper prescriptions, he approached the guru. So what are the proper prescriptions? That you have to be qualified. It's not mere curiosity with which you you can approach this knowledge. You have to have some qualification because this is not mere intellectual knowledge. It speaks of internalization, all the Ideas which will be spoken of that has to be internalized and has to be transformed into your life itself. The life should become a living commentary of what has been speaking, spoken of in the scriptures. So that's why you need some qualification. So what are this qualification? The Shankaracharya in his commentary speaks of the sadhana chatushtaya. The fourfold four spiritual practices, we should uh, internalize in our life, adopt in our life, to really being qualified for approaching for Brahmavidya. Just as in our academic education, when I go to the university, we need some qualification to get admitted to all those courses. It needs some preparation. Here also some preparation is required. So what are those preparation? There's four four practices. First is Viveka. Then comes vairāgya, the third is samadamādhi shat sampatti and the fourth is mumukshutvam. So what are they? Viveka means discrimination. The discrimination between the real and the unreal. As long as we are infatuated with the life, we take this sensate world to be the real. But it needs a little common sense to understand that everything is flowing. Nothing is going to stay permanently. So if that's the, th- if that's the case, that if everything is flowing, whatever has nature has given me today will be taken away again. Nothing is going to stay with me permanently. So if that's the thing, if Jagat is Anitya, is there something which is Nitya? So that's the search, that Nitya, Nitya, Vastu, Viveka. Vastu vichara viveka, nitya anitya, nitya anitya, nitya anitya, vastu vichara is viveka. That what is permanent, what is transitory. If I know that there is as a substratum something permanent behind all this change, behind all this flow, this flow is just a mere projection of something which is permanent, then naturally I will try to renounce this which is transitory and try to get Established in the truth which I am and which is everlasting, which was, which is, which will be, which is the only Satya. So, this from Viveka, that what is this, which uh, this discrimination between the real and unreal leads to Vairagya, the renunciation of the thing which is transitory and getting identified, established in my true original nature which is spiritual, which is everlasting, which was, which is, which will be. Nothing can annihilate it. Nothing can destroy it. It is always in that eternal present to get established in that. And I stop chasing after the sunset pleasures of life. Either it may be in this life or it may be in the post-mortem existence. That after death, most probably because of my all the good actions, I'm going to get achieve something which is called heaven. So I renounce all this hankering. That's why Vairagya has been defined as iha mutra phala bhoga viraga vairagya. Iha amutra. Here is Iha Amutra means hereafter means in heaven. That all the hankerings which I have that I renounce. So here we find Veda makes a very bold statement that there is a state of existence which is beyond heaven. Heaven is nothing but the intensified pleasure which we have in this life and uninterrupted and for a longer span. But it is not infinite. As in the Upanishads, as in the our Vedas, the term, the, even in Bhagavad Gita, we will find that though it may be for a long time, at last, The all the good actions which I have done, its result cannot be infinite. For anything finite, we cannot get infinite result for all the actions which I have done, however great it may be, it is going to yield some result. Maybe it's for quite long, it may be inter very intense, it may be uninterrupted, but it is going to end at certain point of time, how however long it may be. So then again, I have to come back. The kshine punye amrita lokam vishanti. When the punye become kshina, the punye is exhausted. Kshina means to get exhausted. Kshine punye martya lokam. Again, I have to come back to this martya loka. What is martya loka means? Where death is pervading, mrityu is pervading. That's why it is martya in the martya lokam vishanti. Again, I have to come back. So that this heaven cannot be the permanent. That's the bold assertion of the Vedas, that there is a state behind that. I have to get established in that state from where there is no return. So Viveka leads me to the renunciation of all the transitory and hankering for the results here and hereafter so that I can get established in my own self. So these are the first two practices. And this leads to the third practice, which is Samadhamadhi shatsampati. Sama, Dhamma, Adi, Shat, Sampati. Shama is the control of the mind. Dhamma is the control of the senses. Adi means etc. Shat means six sampati treasures. So there are some six treasures, spiritual treasures, that have to be inculcated, practiced and inculcated in our life to evolve spiritually. So what are they? Shama, Dhamma, Titiksha, Uparati samadhana sraddha. Summer, first comes the control of the mind, and then comes the control of the senses. That in the Western world we find that the assertion is that the psychological the, the psychology asserts that you shouldn't uh, suppress your instincts. That leads to mental derangement. Yes, it's true if that Dhamma, that suppression of the senses is not followed by Sama, means control of the mind. Through Viveka and Vairagya, I have explained myself, I am, have convinced myself that renunciation is the only way to achieve that goal, to get established in my real nature. nanya pantha. Vidyati That there is no other way. Twami viditva eti. By renunciation, when I can know my real nature, the real nature, when I know, viditva means to know, Ati You become, you transcend death. And there is no other way. When you are convinced, that entails in Shama. I will try to control my mind because I have a conviction, there's a higher ideal. When I suppress out of fear that what people will say that I am behaving in a particular way which the society doesn't prescribe. And that's why I forcefully subjugate my impulses. Then of course it can result in derangement, mental derangement. But when I have a higher ideal, And I have convinced myself with that higher ideal. And based on that, I have started controlling my mind. And when you control your mind, then only the Dhamma, the control of the senses, becomes effective. That will lead you to the spiritual evolution. Just the way when you are driving your car, if you have to apply the brake, first you have to release the accelerator. So the mind is being accelerated by all the desires. Unless through Sama, I release that Dhamma is not possible. I cannot go on pressing the accelerator and the brake at the same time. It will derange the system, damage the system. So Sama is like relieving the accelerator, releasing the accelerator, Dhamma is applying the brake. And then for that, after that comes Titiksha. So all this process is not easy. We have to go through lot of struggle at the beginning but for that we should have the capacity to endure. As Shankaracharya in Vivek Churamani has defined, what is Titiksha? Sahanam sarva dukhanam purvakam, chinta vilaparahitam sa titiksha nigatyate. That I don't react. Because in this life, the more I react, the more I get disturbed. So I start to endure all sorts of suffering, whether external or internal. But that also not with complaints. Sahanam sarvadukhanam apratikara purvakam. I endure without trying to mend apratikara, without trying to rectify. Chinta, the next line is very important. Chinta vilaparahitam. Without worries, without complaint, that is important. The mind should be at peace. Then it leads to titiksha. So this is the third practice. The fourth is uparati. As we have already uh, that previously discussed, that even after so much of endeavor, we will find now and then The mind is going in its old ways. So I should have patience and bring it back again and again. Like a restless child going hither and thither, the parent is there to cajole it and bring it to the proper track. So the mind is also like that small child, restless child. Again and again, it has to be cajoled and brought back to the mainstream uh, for which you have already resolved to proceed, the path in which you have resolved to proceed, you bring back the mind and continue. That is Uparati. So when you get established in this gradual practice, that will lead to Samadhana. Samadhana means Samadhi, gradually will find that the mind has become focused. So it doesn't happen in a one day. So many who start spiritual practice, we find nowadays, there are many spiritual teachers who will be advertising that. Samadhi is something instantaneous. Just by a little, some breathing practice uh, and some mudras, uh, we can take you to some very, very high state of realization. Know it for certain. The scriptures, again and again, I have indicated the Kshurasya Dhara Nishitaduratyaya in Kathopanishad. It's there. It's not an easy path. It's just like walking on the razor. Durgam Pathasthwa Kavayo Vadanti. Those who have already traverse this path, the Kavi, who knows the rhythm, the laws behind the universe. Kavi means we generally translate as poet. What poet does, he will be rhyming the words, but the real Kavi is who have found out the rhythm behind the universe, the eternal laws behind the universe. So these realized soul of the Kavi. So they have traversed, they know it's not easy, but at the same time, it's very difficult but not impossible. It is very, very difficult, but not impossible. We have to have that purity, patience, perseverance. And it's a very, very assiduous process. As Swami Vivekananda used to say, that the spiritual evolution is, just, just, is not like the falling of the rain, the torrential rain. I see the rain is falling and the ground is getting wet. It's something palpably visible. It says the spiritual evolution is never like that. It is just like the falling of the dews. When it has fallen, I don't know. But when I'm just walking on the ground, I feel that it's wet. It has, it has not noticed. It's a very, very gradual process. Just like the way a score stone, which is lying in the bed of the river, the water is flowing over it. Anytime you just look at it, there is no change, but the change is happening. Maybe it will take decades or maybe a century. And at last that stone, which was coarse, which had lot of irregularities that has become perfectly smoothened. It has no angularities now. It has become like a Shiva Linga. All the angularities has been softened. It has been smoothened. It has become just a smooth rock. So at any time it was not visible, but the change was happening. So the spiritual practice is also like that. It has to go on. It is not going to yield result immediately, but it will yield result in time. The transformation will happen. And for that, I need Sraddha, the last of the six, the last practice. That if I just after starting my practice, after a few days, I find there is no change. I say all these are bogus, nonsense then I'm not going to get any result. Just the way when I go to the doctor and he says that go on taking the medicine, it will take time. After in most probably some few weeks or after a few months, you will get the result. And if after few days I get impatient and say, oh, it's not working, I stop the medicine. I'm I'm not going to get cured uh, just if I stop it. What happened? I had no Sraddha. Sraddha means what? Faith in faith in the scriptures and faith in the Guru. So just take here also, a patient, he should have faith in the scriptures, the medical scriptures. And the Guru, the doctor is a Guru. He, he is the one who has studied those medical scriptures and he is the one who is authorized to prescribe. Similarly, Bhavaroga, the Guru is a Bhavaroga Vaidya. That we have a disease called Bhavaroga. Worldliness is the disease. Somehow, we are diseased. What is the sign of disease? That when I am healthy, I am not aware of any particular part of my body. The health is throbbing through the entire body. A small child, the life is throbbing through the entire body. When we say that we are diseased, when that life which was permeating the entire body gets localized. What is the sign of disease? I am having a headache. I am having My heart is paining. My legs are paining. There is a stomach ache. So when the awareness which was pervading the entire body gets localized, that is disease. Similarly, the non-dual consciousness, which is non-local, has somehow got localized in this psychophysical existence. That is the bhavaroga. That is the disease called worldliness. And the guru is the doctor, who is a bhavaroga vaidya, who can... Cure me of this disease. But for that, I have to have Sraddha. If I don't have Sraddha, this Sama Titiksha, Uparati, Samadhana won't have any meaning. So those Sraddha is the last, but it is not the least, it is the most important thing that will entail the practice with perseverance. And when I am doing all those things, the fourth practice, first of all, that mumukshutva, if I don't have the urge for anything then all these practices of the best guru, the best teacher even cannot help me. As, as in English, the proverb goes that you can take the horse to the water, but if it is, it, it is a horse which has to drink it, you cannot, cannot make it drink if it doesn't want to drink. Unless that urge is there, that unless I've realized that this world is not going to give me any fulfillment, I have to evolve spiritually To get the ultimate fulfillment which this human life can really give me. No other life can entail in spiritual evolution. As a human being, that's the ultimate capacity which I have. So this, in this life, I have to attend that. And that's the urge. It speaks of the tremendous urge that necessity will at last entail in all the practices to go on smoothly uninterruptedly. So these with these qualifications when I go to the guru, then only the instruction is going to uh, find exp- instructions are going to get fulfilled. Maybe I can find the fulfillment in, in my life through those instructions only if I am uh, already qualified with all this this uh, sadhana, these fourfold spiritual practices. So now, when Shonaka, one who is already qualified, he approaches the teacher Angirasa. Now his question do make sense. What he's asking? Kasminnu bhagavo vijyate sarvam idam bhavati but Is there anything by knowing which everything else is known? Now we will find Angiras finding Shonaka as an qualified student, he will start instructing him in the knowledge of Brahman, the Brahma Vidya. But it doesn't start immediately by giving an answer directly to that question. The first thing he says that there are two types of knowledge, opera and para, lower knowledge and higher knowledge. When it has been asked, is there anything by knowing which everything else is known? Then what happens just like all our knowledge we think that that ultimate knowledge also is something which can be known through the mind and senses so here to make the student aware of that fact that there is a knowledge which can be realized only when you can transcend the mind and senses avang manasagochara so beyond be, this. Unless you can transcend all other knowledge which you acquire through the mind and senses are upper, lower knowledge. Why the teacher is saying that? Because he knows the student is expecting that just the way I can instruct the student in all the knowledge, here also I can instruct him. So just to make him aware that this is a knowledge which cannot be acquired. By the way, you have acquired all other knowledge. These are lower knowledge, which has been acquired through the mind and the senses. But there is something which beyond that. The example of which we gave when we the, when we were taking the class is that if we think that the only knowledge is the objective knowledge, as we find some of some branches of science assert that any knowledge which is not uh, can be uh, what you say, is observable, cannot be uh, categorized, cannot be measured, cannot be measured, cannot be observed, that's behind the purview of science. So it's just like uh, that, that simile which we spoke of, that a man with his fishing net went to the deep waters of the ocean to find out what type of creatures are there in the ocean. He threw the net, and pulled it up and he saw many many fish and other creatures where uh, he just fished out he brought through his net and then he studied them all and came to the conclusion that no creature in the ocean is smaller than two centimeters so what it speaks of the whole of the net that this the net has a lot of this it is made of these meshes of holes Each hole is of a dimension of two centimeter. So anything which is smaller than two centimeter, the net cannot hold. It has simply passed through the net. But now if I say there is no creature in the ocean which is smaller than two centimeter, it's just like saying there is no nothing which is beyond the purview of mind and senses. There are some, there's the ultimate reality cannot be filtered, cannot be just fished through your mind and senses, is beyond that. So that's to make the student aware of that he's speaking of a para and paravidya. So in those days, all the knowledge that was available, the Veda, the word Veda actually, if we translate in English, it actually means encyclopedia. The Veda came from vidhatu. Vid means to know. And Veda means the book in which all that knowledge is there. The Vid is the to know. Veda is the book where all the knowledge is there. And sometimes we go for some very uh, 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 explanation of the word, uh, which doesn't make sometimes very sense that we say that Veda is Apourusha. It has not been authored. It came out from the breath of the God. So sometimes with our rational mind, we find it very difficult to understand that what actually it means. Actually, all knowledge is Aparashe. When Newton discovered gravitation, was not gravitation before there, Newton? It was there. That knowledge was there. Eternal, it was there. Newton, what he did? He discovered. He removed the covering. There was an ignorance about the knowledge called gravitation. He discovered, he removed the covering of that. So now, gravitation is Aparashe. It's not that Newton is the one who have uh, that he said that created gravitation. It was there. He just discovered. Similarly, the Vedas, the Rishis were humble enough to say that what I realized is not something of which I am the author. As per the Vedas, knowledge can never be patented. In the present day, we patent our knowledge. They said knowledge cannot be patented. It is there. We just discovered it. And those who discovered, they're the rishis. Just the way the scientists discovered the laws of nature it is the rishis who were the discover, who are the, who, who all discovered the laws behind this nature, which is not only the physical, but the spiritual. So this, karma, or this Aparavidya is that, that all the things, All the knowledge which this rishi is discovered that need not be only spiritual. All the karma kandas, the rituals which will lead you to some higher world. Now again we find that just by doing fire sacrifice how can we go to the higher world? How can we go to the heaven? It's not the fire sacrifice that I am offering something to the fire and have the idea the fire is the mouth of the devas and it is taking the oblations to the heaven and the devas become happy and uh, that's how we can, as if, reserve our place in the heaven. It's one way of understanding, but the real thing is just the way you go to the computer programming. Can anyone understand it? it? It's just to a lay person, it appears to be something nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. But why we give importance to that programming? Because we know, the end result, something we are going to get the end result. It's a software programming, which the language of which may be not known to all, but it has been designed to meet some result. All the yagyas also like the software programming. What is the software? What I'm doing in that there will be no meaning. Just where the language of the computer may have no meaning to me, but it has some encoding decoding process. Here also the same thing. The yajyas, how it helps, as we were discussing, it's by regimentation of the mind. In our life, it is by controlling my mind, by focusing my mind, I have evolved even in my day-to-day life. Whatever I have achieved professionally, by controlling the mind. So here also yajyas actually speaks of that programming by which you are controlling the mind. Naturally, it speaks of higher states of existence higher levels of existence and that's the post-mortem existence which has been spoken of. So this Vedas is full of these Karmakandas. So all these Vedas and to study the Vedas you have to study some Vedangas, some auxiliaries. Just to learn the English language I have to know its grammar, I have to know its the etymology, the words. See, similarly for the studying before studying the Vedas. There were all these six types of auxiliary auxiliar, ancillaries. What were they? This Siksha, Kalpa, Vyakarana, Nirukta, Chhanda, Jyotisha. That we studied. So all this, So Shiksha means the science of pronunciation, kalpa means the science of rituals, vyakarana, the grammar, Nirukta, the etymological meaning of the words, Chanda, the various meters used for rhyming. That when I am chanting the chanting has to be done in special in some type of rhyming so all those rhymings are the chhanda jyotisha there's all those yagyas who have to be done at particular time for that you have to know this have to calculate the exact time for the yagyas so that's why the astrology developed so all these were the auxiliaries which were needed to do the yagyas which has been prescribed in the vedas so these all are aparavidya this is all related to the sunset world. After saying that, now the Angiras, the Guru, will indicate that what is para? Atha para yaya tat aksharam adhigamyate. That there is something which is called akshara. In this world, whatever with your a- action, whatever you do, they're all kshara. Kshara means which is perishable. Which is bound to die. They may be for quite a long time, but they're going to die. They're not permanent. They're not eternal. But there is something which is Akshara. Behind all this uh, flow, all this transitory existence, there is something which is imperishable. And that imperishable existence is being projected as this world. So the para vidya, is that the supreme knowledge is that which can lead to the realization. Adhi in Sanskrit the words are very interesting. Gammyate. Gamana means to go from one place to another. So one place to another. So here, here also I am going not in space but in time I am evolving. Sitting in one place the ordinary man can become and realize soul. For that you didn't have to travel. You don't have to go for the Tirthas. You don't have to be Bahudaka. Bahudaka means the one who has drank the water. Udaka means water of many, many various Tirthas, Bahu, Udaka. After traveling at last, you have to realize that I have to sit down and contemplate and go to that realization that becomes Kuti chaka. So these are the terms even in the gospel Sri Ramakrishna is using. And through that process, you go to you attain that something for which no traveling is required. That is Adhigamana. That is traveling in time, not in space. Sitting in one place, gradually you evolve to that. So that's Adhigamana. So that's Paravidya. By through all these spiritual practices, you get established in it. That's what Adhigamana. So, Tat Aksharam Adhigamyati. So, that was spoken of in the fifth mantra. And then we find from the seventh to the ninth mantra. So, Brahman, the goal of the higher knowledge, which is the ultimate cause of this universe, is being stated. The first, in the seventh sloka which we studied, what it speaks of, the seventh sloka, that to give the idea that. It is the same imperishable brahman which is being projected as this world. It is not that he has created something with some material which is apart from him. Just the way the potter makes pot with clay. So clay is the upadana karana, is the material. And he himself is the efficient cause, the nimitta karana. So to say that he, the ultimate reality is both the nimitta karana as well as the upadana karana. This seventh sloka we studied. What's that? Just the way the spider from its itself projects the cobweb. For the cobweb, it doesn't need any other material. It comes out from its own body. Just as the plants and herbs comes out from the earth. Just the way. The hairs grow in our body, tatha aksharat sambhavati Vishwam. Similarly, from that imperishable reality, the entire universe has came out. So now the question was, what is by what is that by knowing which everything is known? So if you know the akshara from which the entire creation has been projected, you know everything. So that's why he is bringing the topic of the Brahman, just following that question. What's the idea? Now, just to relate to this idea, it speaks of not real transformation. Just the way the milk get transformed into yogurt. That is Parinama. That's, that, that's not how God has got transformed into the universe. There is no Parinama. God is as it is. Then how the universe that we see is possible, how it exists, it is called this Vivarta. It is not parinama. It is adhyaropa. The ultimate reality is appearing as this universe. The universe is actually superimposed on Brahman. Just the way when in the twilight hours I am passing through a road where a rope is lying, and I see the rope as a snake. Is it has it really become snake? No. It is just adhyasa. It is it was rope, it is rope even when I'm hallucinating still it is rope and when my hallucination will be over still it will be rope for the time being because of ignorance it is appearing as the snake so now you will understand that this sloka speaks of adhyasa vada not parinama vada that the thing which I'm seeing as the universe is actually projection because of ignorance so he's both the, now you will understand why it is being mentioned is both the Upadana as well as the Karana. And then in the 8th sloka which we studied, in the 8th mantra which we studied in the last class it was mentioned that in the process of that projection, that evolution of that absolute reality, of that imperishable reality into this universe. What was, this, what was that mantra? Tapasa chiyate brahma, tato Annam abhijayate, annat prana satyam loka chamritam. So the last class we tried to understand it from various perspectives. Today we will take some Puranic perspective to understand this Loka. You will find in the Hindu scriptures, in the Puranas, there is the idea of Vishnu lying in the ocean. In that infinite ocean of milk, of nectar, he's lying there. And from his, he's sleeping, he's lying. And from his navel, a lotus in a lotus, the Brahma, he evolves. And he, what Brahma is doing, he's the creator. But he's not creating really in the physical sense. He's just contemplating, manasa, into his mind. And whatever he is contemplating through his mind, he is being projected as this universe. That's the Hindu Purana. And sometimes it's very difficult to understand. So this sloka also let us try to relate to that. chiyate Brahma tato nam Abhijayate the, thing, the imperishable reality as if swells. And from that Annam, the primal matter comes into existence. That infinite ocean of nectar is the primal matter. From that, from that what? Prana. Prana is the Vishnu who is eternally lying on that the Sagar, on that ocean of nectar. He, Prana, the Vishnu or the Hiranyagarbha, these are the various terms we use. The Sutratma, he evolves. From him, Mana, the mind what it has been spoken of. In the last class, we had some discussion with the help of psychology we tried to understand. With a, that here also let us try to understand that the ultimate reality first finds expression as the primal matter. What's the primal matter? That primal matter, again, finds expression as Vishnu. A very interesting, we give the example that when you are sleeping, see Vishnu is also sleeping. He is the collective sleep state. Of the entire existence. He's sleeping. That what individually is my sleep state, the collective sleep state is the Vishnu. Now, to understand the state of Vishnu, as we gave that example, when I am sleeping, is my mind vacant? No. All the ideas, piecemeal ideas, are there lying dormant. When I see a red flower, that example I was giving, the redness is perceived in one center, the shape of the flower is perceived in another center, its smell in another center, that if I it have a touch it, the texture in another center. So all these being perceived in different centers of my brain, they all get activated when I wake up. They were all lying dormant. And now they all synthesize to give me a sense of whole, that is a flower. The flower as a whole is never perceived. What we perceive is this piecemeal perceptions. So Brahma is lying. The primal matter is all those tanmatras, the piecemeal perceptions. The moment he wakes up, what is being being done? Now all these, now that all those which were dormant through perception, they become visible, isn't it? So the mind, what it is doing? It is now synthesizing all those things. First, all these perceptions will be there, just like the search engine. In the search engine in a computer, you give your suggestions and from the internet, you get all the results. So all these suggestions, red, uh, the shape, the smell, the color, all these are given in the search engine called mind and the buddhi gives the result that it is a rose, red rose. So from where that idea of red rose come, it was already there in the mind. When you wake up in the search engine all the suggestions are given, the idea of the red rose which was already there in the mind, now it evolves and that comes as illumination in the mind. The same The same thing is been spoken of at the very inception of the creation. From the tapasa, the first all this, the ideas, the dormant ideas are there and this finds expression as the Brahma who is contemplating with all the things. That all the perceptions that I'm going to see is something which is in the collective mind. The idea of the collective mind, we gave some indication even in the last class. What? That when I see a red flower, that redness is a, my projection of my mind. Now, it's a hallucination. All what I'm seeing, the world is a hallucination. But very interesting. We all are hallucinating in the same way. Otherwise, we could not have related in this world. If I would have hallucinated in one way, you would have hallucinated in your own way. What I see as red, if you would have seen as green, we could have never interacted. This No type of this interaction was possible. It's possible because we all hallucinate in the same way. What we are seeing is not reality. It is consensus reality. We all consent. We all vote. If someone has some mental aberration, nowadays they don't say mental aberration. They say he's a bit different. You will, you will find a search in the internet. If someone has some mental issues, they say he's a bit different. That's the exact term. Because he's hallucinating in a different way. Why we say we are sane, he's insane? It is just what? That as we all hallucinate in the same way, we say it is reality. There is a consensus reality. We, we are the majority so we are sin and he is bit apart from us so he's insane so nowadays they don't use the word in insane he's a bit different they use so what it speaks of that that this abnormalities actually speaks of the consensus reality and that speaks of the collective mind just the way the server computer connected with all the what you say these species personal computers so so you can as if uh, what you say that Download the things. You can network the all the data from the server to all the PCs. Similarly, like this collective mind is something like that. As a default, all the perceptions which we are hallucinating in the same way we are getting, and that's why this world appears to be so that uh, uh, cons- that, that the consensus reality is possible. So, so reality we see it as real. We don't think we are hallucinating because there's a consensus reality behind it. We are all consenting. So that speaks of the collective mind. From that comes Satya. When satya means the, when the perception has already happened. Satya. That anything has satta. When the perception has happened, that is the satya. And based on this, all these perceptions, what we are doing? We are interacting with the world. We all are not interacting in the same way. As per our interaction, we are accruing the results. And based on the results, we are in the various planes of awareness. Just the way an owl, for him the night is the day. Because it sees infrared light. Cannot see uh, the frequencies of light which is above red. So the world for the owl is the same world. But it is in the same place we are staying. But it is totally different. The night is day for it. And the daytime is dark. For us, the daytime, uh, the, the owls' uh, night is our day. And so similarly, even the, some birds, they have they can have a tremendous power of hearing. The dog's world is totally different. The dog's world is black and white. If you see the black and white TV, that's the dog's world. It doesn't perceive color. So even in this world, you find, as per the animals are concerned, there are various locus. And that's the idea of locus which has been spoken of. Even After death, in our post-mortem existence, we say that we go to heaven. Actually, it's not somewhere else. It is here. As per your actions, you are actually being placed in certain level of awareness. And that opens up a world for you. So what has taken you there? Your karma. Karma. how you interact with the satya, the world which you see, the consensus reality. On that, you accrue the result. And those results cannot be destroyed. They are amritam once the action is done you are bound to go through that result and this speaks of the projected universe which came from that ultimate reality which is being projected as the universe as we told it is a spiritual interpretation of the universe it's not going to interpret the world as per the by dissecting the matter that how that's the way the perception is happening through our mind the consciousness the ultimate conscious principle is activating our mind, and the mind is perceiving the universe. And after it is being perceived, how we are reacting with it. And that, because of that interaction, how the results which we are accruing is resulting in various strata of existence. That's what being indicated in the eighth mantra. The now, the ninth mantra, just that's just the conclusion for this chapter. Let us read. It doesn't need much explanation after saying this. The ninth mantra, what it says, yeah, sarvagya sarvavit, Yesya gyanamayam tapaha, tasmat, tasmat, etat brahma nama rupam annamcha jayate, tasmat, etat brahma nama rupamcha jayate. So, yes, sarvagya sarvavit. So, these words have little difference. Sarvagya we all think the Sarvayagya means all-knowing, Sarvavita also means all-knowing. Yes, both means all-knowing. But Sarvayagya means knowing everything in general. Just from the primal matter, from this all those piecemeal perceptions, the entire universe has evolved. This is knowing in general. Sarvavita, knowing everything in particular. Now all the things which have evolved, how that particular thing has evolved, following what uh, type of mental process that speaks of sarvavit So the one who is the ultimate reality, his Sarvajya, Through from him only the entire thing has been projected. So he knows everything in general. He knows everything in particular. That's why his Tapas is Gyanamaya. It is just knowledge. It is not something physical. As in the, in the previous look also we were indicating, that's being directly stated here, that his Tapas that tapasa brahma, that tapas, that austerity is not something physical. It is gyanamaya, gyanamaya tapa, that it speaks of the omniscience of Brahman by his contemplation when everything is coming out, when the engineer is sitting doing nothing. Actually, he's doing a lot of things. In his mind, the entire plan, the blueprint of the building is being imagined. When the building comes, from where it came, from the mind of that architect. So, what when he was thinking what he was doing it was gyanamaya so similarly the entire universe came out from that the from the knowledge the brahman finds the expression as the mind and that the, the contemplation of the mind from that the entire universe is finding expression so after that this annam all the things which is sustaining the living beings like the food the corn barley everything that everything comes much after that so, what actually is indicating that the entire creation is actually something which came from Brahman as a spontaneous expression of his, what you say, that the thought process of his jnana, of his knowledge. He is omniscient, it just came out from his mind. So, his tapas is something which is his swabhava, devasya esha sabhava. For us, we have to do a lot of endeavor to a- attain certain goals. In this life, in the science, whatever we brag, it's just imitation of the nature, nothing else. We have not discovered, invented a single thing which of which we don't find replica in nature. Seeing the birds, we discovered plane. You cannot find anything which is that seeing the thunderbolt, the electricity, everything that nowadays we uh, are so brag of this medical science that so that we have achieved that A patient who is in coma can stay for, can be sustained for years. Maybe uh, for years, I can just somehow keep him alive. And I think it is our achievement. But it is again the imitation of nature. Just think when I am alive, how many hormones, enzymes, all those those is being uh, secreted in exact amount, enzymes, hormones, everything. If there's a little disbalance, you are gone. Life is a miracle that I breathe in, I breathe out. In this one moment, so many things have happened exactly in perfect measure without your knowledge. It has happened. So, just go through the creation, the entire thing that there is a tremendous balance. When I say there is no God, there is nothing behind this existence, to say that So many things has to go on with the body perfectly. To give an example, when a diabetic patient needs sugar, uh, needs uh, insulin, he has always to be very cautious that he doesn't take, he doesn't starve because that insulin will result in hypoglycemia and the brain will be affected. Immediately he will uh, become unconscious and it may result in death. So the one who is taking insulin always has to take food and keep the level of sugar quiet at certain level. Now the question is, very interesting, that when uh, a diabetic patient who is taking insulin, he cannot starve, he will just go to the hypoglycemia. But what happens when a person is just doing hunger strike? For days together he is not taking food, he is also supposed to go to hypoglycemia because body is secreting insulin and he's not taking anything. He's supposed to go to hypoglycemia, but see the body for which we are not consciously controlling what it does. The moment you are not taking food, as long as it goes to the normal functioning of the body, there's a regulator. Immediately the insulin secretion will be reduced. When I'm taking from outside, I have no control. But when the body itself is doing, it is a wonderful control. When you are not taking food, the insulin secretion just accordingly, will be reduced. So such a perfect balance is there. Which, do I am doing it consciously? No. So behind the creation, there is a tremendous or the knowledge, information, which is flowing. That's why even a scientist like the Stephen Hawkins, who didn't, who never believed in God, who used to say very interesting thing, that this world is governed by laws, So many laws, gravitation, this electromagnetic, electrostatic laws. Now, in his book, at last, he also had to question a very interesting question. Who is failing these laws? Are the laws just their existing way? As Sri Ramakrishna used to say very nicely, I find that it is almost the same words as Stephen Hawkins is saying, what Ramakrishna told uh, in the gospel. What he used to say that in a uh, in boiling water, the vegetables are all jumping. A small child comes and sees and thinks they're all alive. And the mother to just uh, teach the child, to just, uh, just removes the f- fuel from the bottom of that pot. Immediately all the jumping stops. And now relate to the words of Stephen Hawkins, who is fueling those equations. All the laws which speaks of equations, who is fueling those equations? So that speaks of the Gyanamaya were Devasya, so that's spontaneous. So from that spontaneity, this world has came. So now we will find that as we proceed, we will find that the Upanishads never have discouraged the secular knowledge. At the very inception, it spoke of two knowledge, Para and Apara. It is not that I have to uh, discourage the secular knowledge, Apara. It is only if you have gone through the experience of this world and learned its unsubstantiality, then only the Vairagya comes. Then only you become, uh, you develop the inclination and temperament to cultivate the higher knowledge. So both has to go hand in hand. It is not that just by uh, asserting that Nishrayasa, that spiritual realization alone is the goal we will be actually harming the total humanity as a whole. The humanity has to evolve gradually. So both the knowledge has been given importance. That's why in the first chapter we find after indicating that there are two types of knowledge, then only it is going to speak of the Paravidya. Not only that, the second chapter will deal to, to a great extent about the details of that Aparavidya, which we will start in the next class. And there it will conclude with the idea that it cannot lead us to that ultimate fulfillment because all the actions which I do however uh, righteous it may be it has a limited result it will again the results of it will going to be exhausted again I will be brought back to this mundane existence so what is there beyond that the upanishad after describing them, as a synopsis in the second chapter, then we'll proceed in the sec from the second part to the discussion to the uh, instruction of the Brahmavidya. So, in the next class, we will also uh, following the Upanishad, follow into the uh, enter into the second chapter to discuss, in short, the Karma Kanda and uh, uh, its its process and the results which we accrue from it and its limitation. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskar.